All right. We are continuing the series that we started last time with sacraments, back to the basics. And so, if you remember, each week we're taking up one of these theological themes and trying to turn it around a little bit and, uh, and take a new look at it. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Bible and more specifically the Bible's inspiration. You heard in the first passage uh, we read uh, the, that word inspiration. Um, and so we're going to dive into that a little bit. But this is a curious topic because uh, people's beliefs about the Bible are kind of touchy. They're, uh, people are, have really deeply held views about the Bible like regardless of whether or not they actually read it, um, it's, they, they, it can be a flashpoint. Um, and so it's just really interesting. Um, and so let me just remind us what we're trying to do in this series. We're trying to bring some new ideas, to turn things around so that we grapple with what we believe, so that we turn over what we think and say if we disagree, then we start to ask the questions of, well, why do I disagree so much? Why is my position so important to me? And, and start to learn more and more about what we believe and why. Um, so let's just pause for one second so th and ask this question. Th this is a question that we're going to be asking throughout this series of what's at stake in this question about the Bible's inspiration. Um, and so what's at stake? One of the things is how we use the words of God. Depending on how we view the Bible, we can use them as a cludgeon to beat someone over the head with because this is absolutely true, and thus it's condemning you or something like that. It, we can use it in different ways, it, and it depends on how we view what the Bible is. Um, and it also can influence how we think about God at work in the world. We'll touch on that a little bit as well. Um, and so the thing that I think might be most helpful for getting our, our uh, hands around what this thing means, this, that the Bible is inspired, is to walk through the history of what it's meant for Christians. Um, and some people say that it's always meant one thing and has never changed. But um, a really cursory look at a history, Christian history textbook kind of shows that that's not the case. So let me, I'll, I'll just walk us through what some other people have thought that it's meant. And as we're going through, go ahead and think about what parts of that are, are what I believe. And just rethinking through what we think. So the very first way that people thought about this was direct literal inspiration. So we're talking about like the movie Ten Commandments, you've got God up there and bam! There's writing on tablets, right? This is literal, these are literally God's words. God wrote them with thunder and lightning or something. Um, or another way that that could work is God directly takes over the writer and it's like hypnosis or something and the writer writes something down. Or another way that this has happened is, or, or been thought of is God speaks and the writer is a dic not a dictator. We've, we've been through this. That really work is a transcriber dictator has is a different meaning um, so they God speaks something and the writer just transcribes it word for word and so that what it means that it's 
word is it's literally God's word. And so, um, so I guess what it would mean that it's inspired, I mean, I guess it doesn't really mean it's inspired. It means it's God's word, um, very straightforwardly. Um, and, and so that was the earliest view that people held about how this inspiration thing worked. Uh, but it started shifting a little when a couple problems came up. Uh, so first of all, there's four Gospels. And they have kind of different perspectives. Now, if we have God going blam, and it's directly God's word, why doesn't God just make one thing that's right, rather than having a bunch of different accounts? And so some people started turning that over and being like, well, I don't, I don't know how that really works. Um, but here's the other thing that for me is the clincher about this one. So the Bible's written in Hebrew for the Old Testament and Greek for the New Testament. And there's some really bad Greek in the Bible. Like, they don't speak Greek. Well, they don't write Greek very good. Um, there's like all sorts of grammatical errors, and there's literally points that we don't know what it says, and so the translations you have are just guesses. Um, because the Greek's not good. And so it, this is a fascinating theological question, isn't it? it is God have perfect grammar? <laughs> right? Isn't that fascinating? I love it. Um, and I think most people would say no. Uh, oh, wait, God does have it. And so does, God does have, would have perfect grammar. I don't know. But, but that, that type of question starts coming to the front of like, how do we think about this if God's literally if these are literally God's words, how do we make sense of all that? So what it, what it eventually shifts to is now kind of the predominant view, is God inspired the Bible. It's this nice nebulous thing, because that's one of the things that's nice about a nebulous kind of wishy-washy thing, is that it's hard to pin down, so you don't really have to define it very well. Um, so it's kind of mysterious, and it's like, God is still the author, but somehow God works through the person, and the personality comes out. And so like the four different Gospels, it's like God worked through Mark, and Mark was kind of a simpleton and didn't know how to write Greek, and he kind of spoke Hebrew, so it's bad Greek. And then God worked through Luke, and it's a different perspective, and so that's why the perspectives are different. And so that, that solves a lot of those kind of problems that were present with the other view. Um, but there's some other problems that came up. And um, I, I've been having a really hard time of how to talk about this. Because, so the word conspiracy is not what I want to use because it has too much mustache twirling, right? And evil laughter, right? So let's say within pastors, there have been a collective agreement not to talk about stuff. How about that? Is that fair enough? Is that fair enough? And so what we don't talk about is what we've learned over the last 200 years about the Bible. Um, is that uh, we know now that the Bible uh, has this natural history. There's ways in which it was composed. So say the first five books of the Bible, the Torah or the Pentateuch, if you will, it, it's got these different sources 
there's these, this one person wrote this one account and this other person wrote this other account and then at some point there's an editor who's like, okay, let's try and put it all together. And that's, ta-da, what we have is the Torah. And so like, for example, for the, the account of Noah, we've got this question of how many animals go on the ark. And so we've got this story here that everybody knows. Two, a male and a female of each animal, yeah? And then literally right afterwards, there's a different story that says, no, it's seven of the clean ones and two of the unclean ones. And so there's, the editor has put together these, these different sources. And now I could understand for pastors if we didn't want to share it with you because it's, you know, the new scholarly fad, it's going to blow over, whatever. Uh, this stuff's 200 years old. There's literally been dozens of generations of scholars who've figured this out. Um, and so this creates some sort of issues for when we think about the thing of inspiration of God working through somebody's personality somehow. And then the other issue that really creates some sort of tensions with that is that manuscripts, right? So we don't have the original writing of any book in the Bible. Um, and so back in the day, it was on papyrus and you wrote down stuff and then a scribe, probably a monk, went and copied it so that he could have a copy as well, right? And we don't have anything that's closer than say 100 years away from when it was written. And so, as I said earlier, there's parts of the Bible that we just don't know what they are because one manuscript says this, and another says this, and then this one has a completely different story. And so, when we think about inspiration, we start to think, ask some of these questions like, okay, so what is inspired? Is it the King James Version we've got? Or is it this particular strand of manuscripts? Or is it this other one? Or do we have to try and figure out what the original was? But then in some cases, if we can't find the original, does that mean we've lost the word of God? Um, see, there's all kinds of questions that come bubbling up with that. Um, and so people have been trying to figure out other types of solutions. So let me, let me throw out one thing, kind of where I stand. You can try it on, see whether or not you like it. I, I think of the Bible as something that God took on or adopted. So all these documents have these natural histories. There's these editors putting them together. And then at, God had said, you know what, this one is going to be part of the Bible. This one is going to be somehow sacred. And so we, we have things for a reason. And yet... There's, somebody actually wrote it. <laughs> it, some, it has a history, this kind of stuff. And so for me, when I think about the Bible, I think about it as somehow sacred. It's ambiguous. Note what I said about ambigu ambiguity before. It's nice because you don't have to pin it down, right? It's ambiguous, but it's also affirming that there's some reason we have what's in the Bible. And so some of that reason might be to wrestle with it. So for example, when the Bible condones slavery and says that it's okay, maybe it's, it's somehow sacred, not so much because I have to agree with it, but because I can't just throw it away. 
but I have to wrestle with it and say, you know, I don't think that's what God actually wants us to do. And so this somehow sacred thing works for me because I don't really care actually the exact mechanics of how it works. I'm, I'm fine without knowing it. But I'm also insistent that we have to engage with the new knowledge that we're making, that we're figuring out about how these things are created. And a lot of pastors that, like 98% of pastors don't talk about the, what we've learned in the last 200 years about the Bible. Um, and they just kind of uh, pretend it doesn't exist and go la 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 la. And you know, right? And we pastors can't just pretend it doesn't exist. We need to give you know, accurate information about what we've learned so that as informed lay people, you can actually make informed decisions about what you believe. And you can choose not to believe it. That's cool, great. Um, but kind of having the information is an important part of it. And so for me, there's a lot of things about what's at stake. That question that we started with about how we think about what's going on in the Bible. What's at stake is that if we use, how we use the words of the Bible. If we don't think about it anymore as literally God spoke and that's literally God's word, then maybe I need to think about it differently and not try and smack somebody over the head and condemn them with it and judge them with it. Maybe I need to think about a different type of relationship to the Bible and what the Bible says. Maybe there's social structures in the Bible that aren't appropriate anymore, that now it's not God said it and so thus we know slavery is okay, or now we know patriarchy is okay. Now, now we know that men can dominate women. But instead, we have some sort of different relationship. And it, what else is at stake is that if we think about how God is at work in the world, this old view of God just speaking and bam, it's written down, is this idea of God somehow outside of the world and then God has this thing just cordoned off from everybody else in the world, from history, from people, and we just have to look and obey it. But if we think about it a different way, then we start to see God at work through the people in the world. It's the very people and their good stuff and their bad stuff and their successes and failures and their foibles, all that stuff is the stuff of God and the stuff that God works with and that God partners with us in the community. See, I, I strongly believe that God doesn't just zap us with information that we then need to hold up as absolutely unchallengeable. But God works with us. And sometimes in our very weakness and our very fallibility, God works within us to help us to figure out how we, as the people of God, live faithfully in this weird, messed up world. And that's what I see in the Bible when I look at it. So as you ponder what you think about the Bible's inspiration, may you discern how God relates to the world.
May you discern how we as Christians should faithfully read the Bible. And for God's sake, maybe you actually open up the Bible and know what is in it that you're calling sacred. All right? Let it be so.